Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome back to the Farm Bits podcast for this third episode of our nitrogen management series. We are pleased to welcome Bob Gunzenhauser, agronomy science manager at Granular for this episode of the Farm Bits podcast. Bob will offer a little more about himself and his role at the beginning of this episode. This episode focuses on nitrogen modeling from an industry perspective and is intended to provide a look under the hood of a system that is being used for nitrogen management commercially. That's right. There's a lot of great content in this episode from end to end. So let's get right into it with our interview with Bob. So so what are some of the primary features of this granular platform that you're offering to growers and, and kind of what is your overall objective um, in, in, you know, helping them with their nitrogen recommendations this time of the year? Yeah, the granular agronomy is, is kind of the platform, the overall ba- uh, banner for what we're working on here. We do have granular business, which is a farm management software. That's really what, what the heart of granular was as we uh, came to par- be part of Corteva in 2017. We also have Granular Insights, which is the uh, kind of lighter weight version, uh, has elements of both in there. Uh, and then we also have Acre Value, which is a farm uh, land ma- uh, valuation service. But Granular Agronomy is kind of the heart of the uh, focus on the agronomy side. And, and we deliver that through certified service agents uh, who are independent uh, representatives of our product. Uh, granular Agronomy right now is, is focused on nitrogen management and corn, uh, fertility. Uh, we say fertility, it's phosphorus, potassium, lime, sulfur. Uh, primarily in corn and soybeans, and then also variable rate seeding, uh, also in corn and soybeans. And that's been basically a carryover from our uh, prior and circuit years with, with, with Pioneer. And so uh, nitrogen management uh, is our focus there. Uh, what we do is, um, again, utilizing that crop model. We are running through thousands of simulations uh, for a given field. So the inputs that we use there are our weather, our soils, management information and, and crop genetics as well. And so uh, this crop model can run through all those different scenarios of uh, looking at different zones within the field. They have different soil properties, they have different yield targets. And we have 20 years of weather history that we bring in along with the weather that you've already had this year. Uh, we take in your management. So if you apply fall anhydrous with an inhibitor or you apply spring UAN plus a top dress of urea, we handle those properly uh, and the proper breakdown of those, the, the nitrogen in the system. Um, and with different hybrids, if you plan a long season or a short season hybrid, we, we bring that in as well. So we try to be as very as comprehensive as possible. We know where there's always things that a model doesn't catch, but there's a lot of things that we are trying to bring into that model to, to simulate. And the end goal of all this is to uh, help growers to apply the right nitrogen rates uh, across the field, knowing that um, you know soil textures vary, uh, water flowing capacity varies, but also for a given location, uh, weather will change. Uh, and so we look at that 20 years of weather history to kind of give us a guide as to what could happen in the future. We, we can't predict the future. No one's figured that one out right. quite. <laughs> but we can definitely say, uh, you know, okay, here's what you could have. And what's out of the 20 years, what's likely to that drought or what's likely to very wet years. And we build that in. So then our recommendations come out to be uh, based upon that, you know, kind of the middle range between all those extremes. You know, it's going to be a, a recommendation of a rate that says, uh, you know, it's going to be sufficient in those years where you may have a lot of loss, 
but it's not going to be overly done if we have a year where we have a drought and the plant just doesn't take it up. I mean, we can't solve for all of those yet, uh, those scenarios, but at least we can try to be in the middle of that uh, to cover a lot of the bases there. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just described one of these challenges with the uh, variability in weather, but can you elaborate on some other challenges with putting that right nitrogen rate in the right place in the field? Oh yeah, you know, with, with nitrogen, it's you know, the soil is a terrible place to store nitrogen, you know, but we've got to put it there to grow our crop. And <laughs> we, uh, um, you know, we want to be able to put it in the right time, but there's also a lot of operational situations. So that's why we have fallen hydrants in a lot of places in the Midwest. But we also, when we put it in the ground, we're, you know, chancing it to loss. And so that conversion of ammonium to, from anhydrous ammonia, for example, to, um, to nitrate. We have opportunities for loss for leaching or denitrification. You know, it can go either way, up and down. Uh, we can have a urea application that's applied in the summer when we have a volatilization loss as well. And so our model, underlying model, simulates all those dynamics. So it looks at soil moisture, it looks at soil temperature, uh, it looks at soil organic matter even to figure out mineralization as well. And uh, you know, soil temperature uh, and moisture when we apply that urea. And if we do use a stabilizer, whether it's an above ground or below ground stabilizer, we simulate, can simulate those as well. So the challenges there are, you know, growers uh, know that, you know, nitrogen is expensive and, and this year is no exception. Uh, they also know that, you know, losing nitrogen is not good for their pocketbook, nor is it good for the environment. Right. Uh, and so we want to be able to show them, run through different scenarios and say, hey, this is what you could, you know, with this operation, with this practice you've been doing, here's what uh, where you could be losing nitrogen at uh, in these different soil types. And uh, if you want to change to a different approach, maybe you want to use that stabilizer, maybe you want to go to a later timing, maybe you want to inject that instead of put it on the surface, we can show that, yeah, it can bring down your nitrogen losses in those very situations. Yeah. And so when, when you think about these models, I mean, obviously models are driven on, on data. Um, and you've already talked about some of these important data layers that you're bringing in on your side. But what kind of goes in, uh, I guess if you could go in a little bit more detail on those critical da data layers, but also talk about what's necessary for a consultant or grower to bring to the table from the data side to get their fields set up to run this model properly. You bet. So the primary spatial data input that we use is what we call environmental response units or ERUs. Uh, this is something that we developed internally. Uh, and it's, it's basically, uh, the best I can describe is a, it's kind of a rearrangement of the USDA Sergo soil layers. Hmm. So we take the Sergo soils, which everybody can get, you know, look at the NRCS and review those. And, and they were done over a number of years different by different folks and they have varying levels of accuracy, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I know their resolution in say Iowa is a little bit better than I think in, in Nebraska or, or North and South Dakota, Kansas. And so, um, they, you know, there are some locations, some counties that are very detailed, even with Iowa, and some are kind of coarse. So we take that uh, basic information because we, we figured there were probably more right than wrong, but then we update them using high-resolution so, uh, elevation data, so we, uh, like LIDAR, for example. And from that LIDAR uh, high-resolution elevation data, we, we come up with nine or ten different uh, topographic uh, derivatives from that, and, you know, slope curvature, uh, elevation from the stream bed, things like that. And so that through that, um, we use a sampling process. So let's take, you know, a, a soil that you may have a, in, in, um, in Nebraska, Holdridge soil, silt loams one to 3%. So we would look in that area, look in that watershed where that soil's at and say, okay, what are the different topographic properties of that Holdridge silt loam one to 3% that's mapped there? What are the different, oh, it's 
on this elevation, it's got this slope, it's got this curvature, okay. Then we use a, a, and we repeat that for all the different soil properties or soils found in that water watershed. And then we go back and remap that. We basically use a machine learning process to say, okay, we find that, you know, they map the whole grid silt loam and these, you know, kind of characteristics. Anywhere we find those characteristics from a topographic standpoint, let's place the whole grid silt loam there. And let's, where it's on a slope, okay, that's a, a different soil or, or it's a depression, it might be a fill more. You know, something like that where we basically go through and we can figure out where those soils should, should be. And we sharpen the positioning of those soils. We're still using the same USDA soil properties, the, the quote book values behind the scenes, now position them better. So that's one thing we first do. The next thing we work with with growers is bringing in their, their yield data. So multi-year yield analysis is, the, is, the, is working across normalizing yield data from multiple years, and we create zones of low, medium, and high productivity from that. So these are kind of, they, they, what we end up doing is kind of intersecting. We think we have the soil on one layer and we have the, uh, uh, the ERUs on one layer and the uh, uh, multi-year yield analysis on another, they intersect with each other. So then we create some top zones within there. Another level is that we do also, if you have irrigation, we will section that out as well. So uh, we also have some options for our CSAs to bring in other uh, things that can intersect and, and dissect, if you will, uh, those ERUs. The ERUs will still have the same soil properties behind them, uh, but now we have different sections where we might assign different yield targets. And that yield targets are based upon that historical yield productivity. So we know that even with ERUs, we try to get that sharpened, but we know that yield doesn't always follow those nice you know, lines, uh, <laughs> soil type maps. So then we intersect them again and say, okay, well, you know, hey, this might be, we may have three or four intersections with the soil type and they may have different yield properties or yield targets through there. Uh, and that might be due to things that we just don't capture in the ERUs. They might be due to fertility issues or drainage or whatever it might be, but we assign those different yield targets there. And, and those are drivers for uh, both those yield targets and the soil properties are drivers into the model, into our product there. Hmm. That's really interesting. So now that you have all this data, how are you converting that into a nitrogen rate? Is it from some of these um, trials that you described earlier or can you go into that a little bit? Right, so uh, you know we do uh, periodic updates of the model in the product um, on the front end uh, every so often. Uh, and those are updates that are based upon field trials. So we have a, a collaboration we had with the University of Nebraska this year. We had, we've had historical collaborations, uh, 2014, 15, and 16, uh, what we call the Pioneer Regional Nitrogen Trials, PRNT. Uh, we have also a series of internal trials that we work with uh, on small plot work on Pioneer Farms. Uh, and also uh, kicked off last year and, and again this year, uh, working with our CSAs to work with growers, uh, their, their customers to do nitrogen rate trials. So all that data is then used to um, fine tune the model, to find gaps, uh, places where we need to do improvements there. And, and as we do a periodic update, uh, those are brought in. But the, uh, for this, on the, you know, the every year to set up with the, with the grower, uh, the CSA, there's a, there's a time that's spent by the CSA and the grower to sit down and say, okay, what's a reasonable yield target or for this field, right? Is it a 240 bushel yield? Is it 230, 220, whatever it is? And then these zones within these things, we call them decision zones. We assign different yield targets there. And so we have a, a first process is, okay, looking at multi-year yield analysis, we think it could range any, say, 240 bushel corn for the entire field. We can take that and kind of just spread that across the field proportionally. So, okay, this zone over here might be 190, this zone here 260. Is that really right, Mr. Farmer? And we can adjust those to get them tuned in. So that's, 
there's a process that our, our CSAs have to sit down and kind of work through that with our with our growers sure. to get those, those tuned right there. So that's the big input that we bring in. Uh, and then also their management. Okay, what, what do you, when do you tend to apply? What do you, what are you going to use? Are you going to use anhydrous, UEN, urea? Uh, are you going to put a, a, a variable rate uh, MES or a MAP or a DAP application? Okay, let's bring that in as well. We can capture that. Uh, what's your seeding rate? What's your hybrids? Um, and if we have variable rate seeding, uh, we can bring that data back in and use that as inputs as well. So every zone may have different uh, as planted uh, seeding rates. Those are inputs back into the model as well. So we, we take a lot of that grower information as much as we can and put that back in the model. So it is a bit of a communication process with our CSAs to, to talk through that with, uh, with the growers, but we think that's a way to, to really dial it in there. Sure. So if you have a grower, right, you, you talked about earlier, you can kind of update the model with weather as you go throughout the season. So if you've got a grower who's making maybe multiple split applications over the course of a season, whether that's fertigation or maybe they're actually getting out there with a ground rig for two side dress applications, how exactly does that work? You know, when you sit down with the CSA at the beginning of the year and maybe you have this total nitrogen goal, but you're not sure exactly when you want to put those applications on, is that something that granular works well with or, you know, is, is it kind of built for that sort of application? Absolutely. There's a couple of different ways to go about that. Um, you know, we the grower may say, hey, I typically am going to do this program and the CSA will plug those in with some general dates. And this might be back in February, March time period, um, just like irrigation. They don't know exactly when they're going to run the pivot, but we think, mm -hmm. hey, generally we're going to run it every you know few days this amount per, per inch per uh, every time we're running. And so um, they'll have those plugged in and then those get updated as we, you know, in communication with the, with the farmer. There might be a, a, a planning situation where the farmer's saying, hey, I, what would this look like if I went to a split app? What if instead of putting it all front, what if I went to a to in-season applications? And they can run that scenario with the grower and see if that does lower their application rates. You know, does that tie it in better? Also, as we go through the season, you know, here we're, if we do our planning back in the winter, early spring, we don't know what the weather's going to happen or what's going to happen with that weather. But as we get into the season, let's say we get into you know, late May, we've had some weather already. We know it's been wet or it's been dry. And so then we can update that recommendation to say, oh, well, weather's occurred. We had a lot of, we had a lot of uh, you know, margin before because we were using lots of weather from previous years. Yeah. Now we've had three more, four more months of weather. We know it's a little bit tighter now. We know kind of, we, we don't know what the, weather, the rest of the year is gonna look like, but we right. know what April <laughs> May has looked like. So therefore we can fine tune that recommendation even better there and then get that proper date and, and uh, timing and all that with from the grower sure and so so when you have these multiple applications you are i assume generating some prescriptions that folks can go out there and run and, and transfer out there to to the tractor when they are given these prescriptions how much flexibility is given to a producer to edit that prescription and say hey you know maybe 70 pounds in this area felt right, you know, when I was talking to my CSA two months ago, but now I'm feeling more like 45 would be the kind of the economically optimal. Is that flexibility given there within the platform? Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, when we create those recommendations, it, it's kind of, I would say it's the first cut. I mean, and we give yeah. our, our best there. That's really the beauty of having a CSA involved with this. I, I, I cannot stress this enough. Having that human in the loop, that trained local person involved there is super important there. So when we're going to go ask you know a grower to apply a certain amount, uh, you know they're going to say, be the, the the CSA is that person that interface to say okay, the model same say you know apply average ninety pounds an acre, and the, the grower may say oh well that's 
okay, that's a little more than I figured it would be, or, hey, are you, are you capturing the fact that, you know, my applicator can only go down to 35 pounds of nitrogen per acre, only get down to 10 gallons an acre, my, my UAN. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we can plug that in. So they'll make it plug, our system allows you to plug in a minimum or a maximum, allows you to uh, adjust everything up by 10% down by 10%, whatever the, the adjustment might be. Go into individual decision zones and adjust those properly as well. So that is all editable by the CSA because there are times when that model will put out something that like, wow, that was not what I was expecting. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. know what, I'll admit that. That's what every model, every model will have its faults. Every model has areas where it does not know something. And so that's where having that human in the loop, that CSA making that call saying, no, that just doesn't smell right. Let's work with the grower to adjust that properly. Let's, let's make sure it's gonna be right there. It doesn't happen not very often, I don't believe, but it's just that one level of assurance that we can bring to the farmer to say, we're going to make sure this is going to work for your farm. Yeah. And I, just to throw this in there, this is one quote that I've always heard that I found fascinating is all models are wrong to some extent, but there are some models that are extremely useful. Mm-hmm. And I think that really fits well with nitrogen modeling. That's exactly, I've used that same quote when I talk about our, our <laughs> product with others and say, uh, with our CSA saying, you know, every model is going to have errors. It's all going to be wrong in some place or another, but more, some are more useful than others. There's still value in using them. They still pr- can provide us guidance. Uh, and that's a really key thing I like to say is guidance. Um, if I make a recommendation or a prescription, prescription sounds like, I'm, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm going to make an exact thing. And, and sometimes we do that, but I like the word guidance. Say, here's generally where we want you to go. Here's the, the, the concepts there. Uh, and so that's where our, our product really can work there is to say, hey, knowing all the soils that you may have in a, in a field, knowing the weather you've had, knowing the management you've done, here's where we think is best. But at CSA, you and the, C- the farmer and the CSA are that final arbiter making that decision on what to put out there. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. Um, so then how are you evaluating how, if, how correct these guidance recommendations are? Are there rate blocks out in the field, check strips? How are you evaluating that these are correct both for the producer, but also for you guys uh, developing the model? Yeah, you know, when we first introduced this uh, back in 2015, 2014, 15, we did kick off some um, on-farm studies where we compared a, the grower rate versus a, you know, a nitrogen, uh, that time in circa, but nitrogen recommendation for our product. In a lot of those cases, as we went through those, we were winning quite a few of those, you know, up to 60, 70%, 80%. We felt that that was a, a good call there. Um, more recently with these on-farm trials that we're doing uh, with growers, uh, we're, we're collecting that same kind of data to see, okay, what is the nitrogen recommendations on the outside of the plot and within the plot, what was the economic optimum nitrogen rates as well? So we can really capture that. Uh, a new development that we're looking at down the road here very soon is, to, is the ability to put in check strips uh, very easily. So it was something that our CSAs had been kind of doing uh, uh, part-wise uh, using our, our Field360 Studio software. They'd take the rec and they'd go in there and cut it up and you know, put some different, you know, a grower rate versus uh, you know, the, the recommendation. And we felt we need to really automate that. So uh, the new tool that's still forthcoming would allow you to say, hey, I'm going to do a strip that's the entire field. And my application width is, say, 60 foot or 120 foot or 90 foot. And it'll create two different blocks, strips right next to each other. Right. And so that way we can intersect and say, on one side is going to be a variable rate. We're just going to cut that and use that. The other side might be a straight rate, might be the growers. Or it might be the same variable rate bumped up by 10% or down by 10%. 
And um, we really want to be able to use that to, to automate the data collection process. And the one thing we've heard back from our CSAs is, give me tools that really show how good I'm doing. Show, <laughs> let, me, let me show how good I am, how I'm delivering value to the farmers. And duh, yeah, absolutely. They should be doing that. Um, <laughs> We're, uh, they're, they're, they're bringing, they want to be able to show the value to their growers, uh, their customers every year. And I think those are proper tools to have there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, kind of on this whole theme of looking forward, I mean, I think that evaluation piece is, is really, really critical. But, you know, obviously the models have to continue to adapt to new products that are coming on the market. Um, we recently talked to Pivot Bio. Uh, you know, who's producing this proven product that is kind of a new way of supplying nitrogen to the crop throughout the growing season. How are biological products and some of these other things like, you know, crop sensors or, you know, nitrogen inhibitors that are coming onto the market right now, how are those able to integrate into the model and how are you preparing for those as a new nitrogen management strategy? Oh, yeah. So in the case of stabilizers, uh, you know, Corteva has a history of that with, with InServe and Instinct. That's been a product that's been around for many, many years. Uh, and we do simulate the, the effects of that within the model today. Uh, same with the above, above ground inhibitors. So uh, a urease inhibitor, uh, we can simulate those as well. And those are based off of public research data that we've, we've collected. Uh, as we get into uh, talking about with biologicals, that gets a little more uh, complicated. Um, you know, that's something we are studying, uh, how we can you know, bring those in both from look at public literature uh, as well as you know, our, own, on, our own trials as well. So those are definitely areas that we, we are very interested in. We know that that's going to be a key part of a, a strategy towards nitrogen management in the future, and we, we don't want to leave that out. When it comes to other sensors, uh, you know, on-the-go machine sensors or remote sensing, uh, we don't presently have anything in there yet. We, we definitely evaluate that. And I'll, uh, maybe I'll introduce a concept that, that I've been working out here is that there's a, when we talk about data inputs into a model, there's there's the genotypic data and there's the phenotypic data. So the genotypic is maybe the soil data, right? We know some about the texture or the water line capacity, the organic matter, uh, it, the topography. It's very stable things, but it's also pretty hard to capture all that too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, think about again have the coarseness of our Sergo maps, and you know we have ideas of, of approximate soil sensing and using uh, uh, that as a way to uh, understand data, but also then calibrate with with measured soil properties. And the phenotypic data is what I think of as like yield data or remote sensing data or other types of things. They um, tell you kind of the expression of a crop. What did it, what did it yield? What does it, how green is it? What is the chlorophyll? You know, these type of things. Those are great to know where they're at in the field, but we don't know why. We don't know why it yielded there. Just if you get a yield map and it's like, okay, well, hey, look, 240 bushels is part of the field. We don't know what caused that. And so you need the, the genotypic data <clears throat> with a model to get you that point. And so the same thing goes with these other these sensors. Remote sensing has a lot of great potential because we can cover millions of acres very easily, very cheaply. But what I am looking for uh, from our scientific teams is how do we take that phenotypic measurement and convert that into genotypic or give us guidance in the genotypic? Uh, are we seeing from remote sensing that, oh, wow, uh, in August, this part of the field is lower you know, biomass lower chlor- has lower, lower reflectance values. Mm-hmm. Is that due to nitrogen running out or is it due to drought? Is it because right. it's on the side of a hill and it's run out of water? Uh, is it sandy? Whatever it might be. So help me understand, help us to understand why those things are going on there from a genotypic standpoint. And then we can really unlock a lot of things with, with the, the phenotypic, with the remote sensing. That's the, the challenge. And so I, uh, there's a lot of solutions out there that use remote sensing by themselves. 
but they all have to kind of go through some sort of model to be useful. Um, just otherwise they're just pretty pictures. One thing we like to talk about a lot on this show is aggregated data. Um, and, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about how granular, you know, what your policy is towards aggregated data, but then also how you're using that to help to inform the model a little bit better um, and try to, like you said, get to that EONR for a specific field. Yeah. So um, with aggregation of data, we will never take you know, a farmer's data and sell it off with their information, right? The only time we're going to do something with that is anonymously put together and studied across you know, large areas. Um, mm -hmm. And so more specifically on the G business side, you know, where you have financial information involved there, that's off limits, right? That's just yours only. Uh, uh, between you and your customer support manager, but that's it. Um, so, right, we do collect millions of acres of yield data, millions of acres of as planted data. Uh, and that's just a, a, a given there, uh, along with all this management information that's applied through Nitrogen Management uh, Tool. To be honest with you, uh, those data sets, while they're very broad and very large, without the individual context of what did you do with nitrogen, what did you do with fertility, what did you do with your you know, planting, all that other contextual information, it doesn't make it as useful as, as one would think, right? So that's where the trials that we do on farm or uh, at our research locations are the most valuable, uh, to be honest with you, because uh, number one, we've got a lot of that context around what did they do, what's been applied, what are the different rates? And number two, we are varying the rates quite wide on those. Um, I would rather have one, you know, one acre's worth of small plot work with varying rates replicate four mm -hmm. times. I'd rather have that than a thousand acres of somebody applying the straight rate of nitrogen across all of them. <laughs> it would be much more useful for me to have one acre of that information with the varying rates. Um, because, you know, if you apply, you know, 200 pounds of nitrogen across all those acres, okay, fine, that's great. But I don't know if that would have worked at 160. I don't know if that would have worked at 240. So that straight rate of information, good for you. You can see where your variability is at. That's great. But for me, from a modeling standpoint, it's not as useful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've also seen a lot of data quality issues when you're dealing with a lot of on-farm research trials. So it's probably better to have good quality data than necessarily some medium quality data from lots of sources. So that's really interesting. Yeah, you know, the, the axiom of you get what you pay for is so true. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we would love to be able to create a better demand for, or a better reason, not demand, but a better reason for growers to calibrate their monitors, to set mm -hmm. their demands properly, their applicators, get the information in properly. Uh, because if all their thing is like, well, it's just I'm making a map, well, big deal, I, I know what I did. There's a certain amount of value there, but if we, if we showed them, say, hey, by doing this work now, you can do more analysis on your farm, you get better, you know, and maybe, you know, as you would maybe opt into a, a anomalous peer network of sorts, perhaps you want to be able to do a better job of collecting data, then, then we create an incentive for that. Um, so that's, uh, you know, we always kind of deal with it. We, as I've dealt with many years of yield data, you know, one third of it is really good stuff. One third of it's okay. And one third of it <laughs> probably just throw away, and, you know, say, let's <laughs> Let's not make a first out of, of a sow's ear on this, so. Right. <laughs> so, so you've kind of brought up the financial side in, in one of your recent responses, and I don't know if I didn't catch this earlier, but is, is financial data being incorporated into the model outputs as well, or is that something that maybe the, the 
uh, new relationship with all this old and circa kind of, you know, model coming into play with what granular brings on the financial side? Is that something that you're looking to try to integrate here in the future? Yeah. And, you know, the, as we've been iterating through different uh, versions of our product, our, our product that's uh, of nitrogen that's carried came over from the end circuit days, we did include there the cost of nitrogen uh, so that we could, you know, compare that, make that as part of the, the output there. And, and I think that's something we're going to incorporate in this newer version that we have built in with, with insights as well. Um, but at present, we don't bring in the cost. Uh, when we make that decision for a variable rate, we don't bring in that cost. Mm-hmm. So we're not really doing a true EONR uh, process today. Um, that's sure. an area where we're doing a lot of research on what maybe we want to move towards in the future. But uh, right now, it's not. Um, I think, you know, when you deal with the price of corn, it could go from, you know, this year it went from $3 to $5. <laughs> Nitrogen from $0.30 cents to $0.50 cents a pound. Uh, definitely, that's an area we need to be uh, bringing in. So, uh, we know that's also a little bit hard to get growers to always provide that. Sometimes it's a little harder to cost uh, to figure that out, that cost there. But, um, you know, in my studies of doing that EONR analysis, yeah, uh, if I do have $3 corn versus $5 corn, that's going to shift my EONR up maybe 10, 20 pounds of nitrogen. Uh, mm-hmm. My cost goes up of, of, of fertilizer, it may move it down another 10 or 20. So it does, it does figure in the equation. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So I guess one of the other questions that I had is we kind of talk about the software. When you're thinking about these CSAs who are using it, obviously these CSAs still want to have a very usable interface to deal with and they want to streamline the process as much as possible. What have been some of the major focuses on the development side to make the program easy to use and really appealing to these CSAs to get involved with? Yes, bulk editing. That's the big one right there is the ability to say, hmm. I want to apply this, these and these uh, treatments across these and these fields. I want to kick off variable scripts to run all those at once. Uh, I want to export them all out at once as well. So the bulk editing, bulk setup is really important there. When we first developed this a number of years ago, it was like on a field by field basis. It was, you know, I almost want to say it's a bit of a proof of concept, but it was, uh, you know, the bulk editing was kind of an app, you know, something like, oh, hey, we, we proved you can create variable rate recs. Well, that's great, but I want to do a bunch of my time. Okay. So as we do iterate on the product, we've, we've added that functionality. And I think that's, that's the area that's, we, we heard a lot of feedback from CSAs that I want this bulk editing function so I can you know, work with lots of growers. And it makes sense because if we can give them the ability to, to do more work quicker, they can now take on more customers. They can okay. more profits. It makes our service even more valuable to them. So let's do that. Let's make that very simple. And, and so with the, the power of cloud computing, when we say, hey, uh, we want to be able to kick off you know, recommendations for 20 different fields. Uh, that can run there. And as I mentioned, this thing runs, this, this, will, this model will run thousands of iterations. You take a, you know, a, a, a field with maybe th- say 30 decision zones, and you have 20 years of weather. At the minimum, that's 600 simulations we have to run. There may be more within that to find that right net nitrogen rate. So now you're talking maybe five re- runs per recommendation or uh, decision zone. Uh, by year. So now you're talking 3,000. Take that across 20 fields. That's, you know, 60,000 simulations we all have to do with run through this. Now that all can run in a, in, a, in a tenth or a very small amount of a second. But, you know, if you stuck, stack them up one after time, it'd be, you know, hours to get all done. Beauty of yeah. cloud computing is we send that out, spins up different uh, uh, examples of or uh, instances of, of that runs all that work in parallel, brings it all back, 
simulates it, put it all together. So instead of taking hours to get all those recommendations, we get back in a few minutes. It's really important. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, can you talk about where do you think the future of nitrogen modeling is going? Um, maybe some of the ideas that you guys have in the pipeline or maybe even more futuristic. Um, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I think an area that we need to broach as an industry, but uh, we need to do it carefully is to show farmers a little bit more how they're losing nitrogen, how they may lose it through these different practices. Um, and we do that today to an extent, but I think maybe bring up a little more uh, and maybe figuring that into, allow them to figure that into their equation of, of recommendations may be useful. Um, I would rather be able to show them that information, you know, from an industry standpoint and help them to guide to make better decisions. Uh, then that would be something that is dictated to them from a governmental standpoint. Now, the government is there mm -hmm. to everyone and, and you know, all of our, our, our resources, um, but I want farmers to do the right thing on, the, on their own. And if they have yeah. the right information, I think they can make the right decision. So that's an area where I, I really feel strongly having farmed myself and coming from fifth generation uh, of farming, you know, I would like to know that information. And so if you're telling me that, hey, the practice I've been doing for ever since grandpa told me how to do it, it's caused me a lot, lose a lot of nitrogen and I could be doing better. I could be saving myself nitrogen. I wouldn't have to be sent so much downstream or in the air. Hey, yeah, great. That's awesome. So that's what I'm, I'm really believe is we need to surface more and be, and be more transparent as an industry around. I know it does bring in some questions of like, well, how accurate is that estimation of loss? And is that something we should be you know, looking at? And I think, you know, we're going to use the best science we can. There's always, science is always evolving. It's never static. So we'll do the best we can with what we, we have. And if we find improvements, we'll, we'll have that too. I think the further things down the road that are really exciting in, um, in the space, as we talk about was, is biologicals, but also I'm gonna say, as we get into learning more about the soil biology itself. So not just what we, what do we put on there uh, in, in terms of a product, but also what kind of bacteria and fungi are in the soil and the technology that's coming out around that uh, to allow the analysis of that is really interesting. It does cost a lot right now, yes. <laughs> but uh, anything with DNA analysis, certainly the price will come down over years if you enough volume with that. And, and what I'm really excited about is learning, are there certain soils that mineralize better than others? So take, you know, for a 4% organic matter soil, uh, even one that's on one side of the fence versus the other side of the fence, do they both mineralize at the same rates? If not, why? Is it because this one has better bacteria? Does it have better whatever else or, or conditions there? Yeah. And so being able to test for that and understand that is great. Um, you know, the mineralization portion, the, the ability to, to mineralize nitrogen out of organic matter really opened my eyes a couple of years ago when we did some trials uh, in, in, uh, in Minnesota where we had different nitrogen rates from zero to 280 pounds of nitrogen. So we always, we always apply something that's very low and very high to really establish that UNR curve. Mm -hmm. At this location near Mankato, the zero nitrogen rate made over 200 bushel corn. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. And the, and the, the, the high nitrogen rate you know, made 240, 250, you know, not a little bit more, but not that much more. And it's like, mm -hmm. the there's some magic about the soil. And, you know, the organic matter was pretty good. It's like, it was 5% or so, it was, it was really good. But there was something magical. And I had to, you know, if we'd known more about the biology there, be like, okay, let's dig into it. What's going on there? What is mm -hmm. making that happen? Because if we can, you know, you can imagine down the road, if we had a very a lower cost way of, of doing soil analysis. And so, 
doing your two and a half acre grids, your zones, and we came across that, hey, these parts of your field mineralize better, right? And under the right conditions, you won't need to put on as much nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm -hmm. Now you're able to say to you could put on 30 or $40 less of nitrogen and still have good yields here. Now, depends on the weather. It may be more, maybe less, whatever it is, but we can still be able to provide that guidance. So that's one thing I'm really interested in too, is can we dig more in that soil biology? And then perhaps down the road, match up that biological product with that soil biology. Are there things that we can do to match it to work together there too? Yeah. It does seem like that mineralization question is kind of the, whether you're dealing with sensors or models, that's really like the, what we're trying to answer is mm -hmm. where is that other source coming from that we can manage to cut back our main application with? So mm -hmm. it's a tough question. Yeah. You know, I think there's, you know, as you talk about sensors and other technology, I think those are still important to consider too. The, the question that in my mind is scalability. Um, you know, there's technology that that comes out that says, oh yeah, we can put this in your field and test it and we can measure uh, nitrogen and phosphorus, potassium and information like that and th at that point. It's like, okay, that's great. But how useful is that when I have 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 acres, yeah. you know, 30, yeah. 40, 50 fields. Yeah. And what happens when I drive over it with a sprayer? What happens when I <laughs> bury it with a yeah. tractor? And um, so I, I like that technology, don't get me wrong. I think those are great technology to uh, use for modeling purposes. So somebody in, in, like in our role here, uh, I would be all over that to study if it can give me a good estimation of mineralization or, or you know, water, holding, water holding capacity or, or nitrogen, you know, different things like that. Uh, if that can tell me that, that's great, but I'm gonna probably use that data to build a model because that allows me to expand over more acres. And I might have something that gives me a proxy to help me understand what those values, should, you know, where I need to be up there. So. Um, tech, um, again, we're not technology adverse by any means. We just want to make sure we're using the right technology that's going to uh, expand and, and scale across many acres and makes it easy for growers. Uh, we don't, one thing we need to always consider when we look at all this technology is what benefit do we think it brings to us, but also what is the hassle factor? Absolutely. Hmm. So if, if our listeners are really, you know, peaked as far as models and they really want to go learn more about what granular is doing and, and what they're offering, where would you send them to learn more information? Well, definitely, you know, first thing would be our website, uh, granular.ag. Uh, it'd be a great location way there. Also hit up any of your local Pioneer representatives. Um, we can, they could connect you with a, a local CSA. Of course, if you know of a CSA in, in your region, absolutely visit with them as well. Uh, we have, you know, varying uh, densities, different numbers of CSAs. So they may not be in your region per se, but by connecting with a Pioneer representative, um, they can connect you with our, our digital business managers who cover the regions uh, and they can connect you with the CSA um, or even assist you there as well. We, one thing that we, I'm really excited about too is we offer what's called pro services. So we may have a situation where a farmer may be an area we do not have a CSA yet. Uh, mm -hmm. and, but they're uh, of large enough size to say, you know, we, we want to try this out. We have folks on our team that are uh, agronomists, have a background in farming, come from farms themselves usually. Uh, and, and for a fee, we can set that up and basically be a, in a way a CSA for them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not to replace a CSA totally. In fact, they also assist CSAs and some of the other day-to-day uh, -day work. But yeah, if there's a situation where farmers says, I really want this, but I am in a place where there's, I don't know any CSAs, we can still work with them through that pro services. So again, Talking, you know, checking out with our Granular uh, website, talking with our local Pioneer reps, uh, connecting with our di digital business managers, we can uh, get them set up. Awesome. <laughs> so as we wrap things up, can you offer one piece of advice for listeners who are looking to improve their nitrogen management practices? 
documentation. Just record what you're doing. If you've got any of the, the popular controllers, systems in your tractors and your equipment today, document what you're doing. Um, you know, capture as much as you can around, you know, the product you're using, the rates, the capture the dates, of course. Um, that information may seem kind of boring right now, but it could be useful down the road. Uh, calibrate your yield monitors, make sure they're all set up properly. Again, maybe you're not doing a lot with them. Maybe you're making pretty maps today, but you don't know down the road that could be useful as well. I think one thing I would always encourage uh, farmers to do, and I know this is always a headache, again, back to that hassle factor, do trials. Set aside part of your farm. Uh, do something crazy. Uh, so, <laughs> got, and, and maybe not too crazy, but do something that's, that's a little out of the box and don't do a whole mm -hmm. lot of it, just try it out. So do your own uh, on-the-farm trials, different nitrogen rates. Record what you do, where you do it. Check it again with the, with the yield uh, monitor in the fall. Uh, try out those biologicals, try out the stabilizers, try out those things, see how they work on your farms. Uh, and those are things that's, that's going to get you, you know, about down the road there better. Um, having variable rate equipment is useful. Um, we can work with you if you have just flat rate. I mean, it's possible. We can probably pick out a rate that would probably suit you uh, across the field. But uh, you know, moving to that newer technology of variable rate controls for your sprayers or applicators uh, is gonna get you a long ways down the road too. So thank you so much to Bob for joining us today on the podcast to talk about nitrogen management. Yeah, it was pretty cool having <laughs> Bob on. It's been uh, a while since we had a chance to see him mm -hmm. since the NUE conference last year. Um, I thought it was a really good interview. One of the best ones we've had. I really like that he focused on the slow process that they're taking to make sure the model is correct in every new region that they're going into. Um, and then he's focused on getting the models right. You know, he wants to know where they're wrong so they can improve. I think it's just a really good approach. Yeah, and using quality data with field trials, but not just all the data. And so I thought, yeah, yeah that was a good point. I also like their local expertise using CSAs. Right. And so it's not just let's put this model out there everywhere and see what happens. It's let's use someone that you're com comfortable with or familiar with to help you make it work for your farm. So exactly. that was really interesting. Yeah, really interesting episode. And next week, we're looking forward to getting into responsive nitrogen management, uh, which will be a new theme within this <laughs> nitrogen management series. So I hope you'll tune in for that. Thank you again. And we'll see you next week on Farm Bits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.